important, doesn't it? And she gets to play with baby bottles all the time. Tell them, tell them about it. Here, here, let me, let me share mics. Yeah, I don't talk that loud. Uh, so we are, of course, a faith-based organization that we provide pregnancy tests and um, ultrasounds, childbirth classes, educational classes that, that help parents uh, get their kids back from the system. And uh, we just uh, offer, offer all of this free, and you guys are our partners so that you can be in ministry even if you can't be there physically. So uh, I just appreciate all of your support and um, know that you are saving lives with every penny that you put in there. Awesome. Right. Thanks, Lori. Right. So there are some... Yes, give it up for Lori. She has a very challenging job. And this year, as with many organizations, giving has been in a decline because of the different situations, so they could use your prayers. And there's these huge baby bottles back there. I mean, they're pretty big. So feel free to either put some change in there or a check for a large amount, okay? Maybe the latter one. Anyway, okay. So uh, that. Now, Patty. Where's Patty? So we need help serving. Is that right, or you got it covered? Look for the sunflower lady, and uh, we, we need a little bit of help getting the serving done. Uh, also, for you guys who are being baptized, I'm pretty sure I got everybody, but just how we're going to handle the end of the service, uh, when I'm done teaching, we're going to sing a couple of songs, uh, then we'll, Michael will come and dismiss the service, and we're just going right over the hill, and hopefully I will already be there in the water getting acclimated before you guys, because I, I like people to come up shouting, um, but anyway. So we're looking at Ephesians 5.17 today, and uh, we're also going to be jumping into an Old Testament story. I've tried to do that with each of these messages is kind of anchored into something that happened in the Old Testament as well, uh, for a lot of reasons, but one, I just want you to see how, how the this Word of God is tied together well and how everything is, is interrelated. But the, the, the verse today is easy. We could probably memorize it. It's so easy. It's Ephesians 5.17, and you're going to, all you parents... You're going to love this one. You're going to quote it to your kids. It goes like this. Do not or don't act thoughtlessly. Can I get an amen? Don't act thoughtlessly, yeah? Okay? But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Uh, guys, you ever had one of, those, one of those moments of clarity? And you're like, what's he talking about? Okay, so like we guys were put on the earth to move heavy objects and open tight jars, right? Okay? And uh, I got to do that for my wife last night. I felt so good opening a tight jar. I'm just saying. But you're, uh, you're working on maybe your, your pick-em-up truck, uh, you know, and if depending on what brand it is, you might work on it more than others. <laughs> Notice I didn't claim a model. I just let that one float, and all the Chevy guys left it, the Ford guys, and the Ford guys left the Dodge guys, the Dodge guys left the Toyota guys. It was great. But anyway, so you're working on that truck of yours, and, and you're doing what guys do. You're putting that big, hairy, grunting ape on that nut that you're about to loosen. And about the second you realize, if this ratchet slips, I'm going to hurt myself. The ratchet slips, and you hurt yourself, and you say, you use foul language like chicken, buzzard, turkey, stuff like that. <laughs> Keep it. Moments of clarity. Yes, that's right, nice save, uh, moments of clarity we have in life. Ladies, maybe, maybe one day you woke up and realized that the guy you married isn't a woman. <laughs> Mark Gungor says, he says all the time, every time you ask a woman what her perfect man is, she describes another woman. So anyway, I thought that was... Uh, you have these moments of clarity. Proverbs 18.2 says, 
Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Facebook, right? They only want to air their own opinions. So as we get in today, we're talking about obedience. And yes, I'm talking about obeying God's word. But I'm not just talking about obeying the Bible. I'm talking about obeying God's directions. What God's telling you as you read his word, as you listen to messages, uh, as you go through your day. And I want to preface that with this, this question. Have you ever asked yourself, what does God want me to do? What, what's, what's it about? Why am I here? What, what am I supposed to do in this life? Am I just supposed to be happy and comfortable and get all I can and can all I get? Am I just supposed to be entertained? Is that what it's supposed to be? Because that is kind of a predominant view of faith. But if you read the New Testament, you find that Paul spent a significant amount of time in prison. You find that all the disciples died for their faith. You would learn that the early Christians, if you read the letters of Peter and and even the book of Revelation, you would see that early Christians uh, were unable to get jobs because of their faith. They were kicked out of guilds, which are ancient versions of modern unions. Uh, There was a lot of suffering that early Christians felt like was worth it because Jesus was so awesome. And they didn't need to be happy and comfortable to be Christians. Now, what does this matter? Well, we live in a, a world as, 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 a church, as churches, as people who go to church, where we kind of, we, we look at everything like a consumer. We come at church that way. Is this church meeting my needs? And I'm not saying that's a totally invalid question. We do have needs met. We do have, uh, there are things that, that the church is there to provide and to help us with. However, the church can't do that unless its members and it's the individuals that are part of the church come together to meet those needs. Can't just hire enough staff to meet everyone's needs. A church isn't a Walmart or anything like that. And so the church's job, though, isn't really to meet needs as much as it is, and there is some need meeting, it's more raising people up to be need meters, to be servants. And in thinking like that, you realize that, for example, we haven't been able to do kids' church all summer because of this weird time we live in. But you have to understand that when that day comes and we have a team that is praying and working on that and trying to figure that out even as we speak, uh, but you got to realize that we don't do kids' church just to entertain kids and to give parents a break, even though it does accomplish those two things. Hallelujah, all right? We do kids' church to help parents learn how to disciple their kids. The greatest gift you can give a child is a relationship with Jesus Christ and a pathway of discipleship they can follow him their whole life. So, Again, we're not just trying to put a Band-Aid on a problem. We're trying to help people get there. When I teach, when Michael teaches, when Steve teaches, and, and, and when he teaches us through worship, as we learn these kind of things, it's great to get a devotional nugget to carry you through your week. That's awesome. I need those too. But that's not our mission. Even though that's nice to get those awesome one-liners that you can put on a meme or share with somebody else, our mission is to help you be able to learn how to come to God's word yourself and get fresh bread straight from the throne room 
anytime you need it and all the times that you need it. You understand? Our mission is not to, to serve you, even though we must serve each other. Our mission is to teach us all how to serve. Does that make sense? Okay. Does it make sense over here? I'm sorry. I was looking that way. And just, okay, that's good. In the back. All right, good deal. My eyes are watering because of this. I uh, probably the smoke. Last night I started coughing, couldn't figure out why. Um, so anyway, if it looks like I'm really emotional, I might be actually. So <laughs> some th- awesome things are happening in our life right now. So as we think about what what churches have become and have they've been more consumer than discipleship based, I want us to think about today how we can obey Jesus. And actually, I have a long introduction and a really short sermon. Okay, but the introduction is actually a quick history lesson. So here you go, quick history lesson. Um, when I was in uh, school, you know, about a billion years ago, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, for the young kids and for the older folks, you know, I've, never mind. I won't even talk about them. Uh, we learned about, I grew up in Tennessee, and I, we learned state history, and part of that state history included the story of the Trail of Tears. From 1830 to 1850, about 8,000 Native Americans were forced relocated from the south and southeast uh, to the west of the Mississippi. About, well, about 8,000 died in the trek. It's called the Trail of Tears, and it's a, it's a horrible piece of America's history that everyone needs to know about. There's so many pieces of our history that when we forget them, we just set ourselves up to repeat them. Uh, but anyway, it was something that I learned. Well, I want to tell you about a story of the nation of Israel that kind of had their own trail of tears. They actually kind of had two of them. First of all, they were forced marched from Jerusalem to Babylon at the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of Judah. And, uh, and then they spent 70 years in captivity. But what I want to focus on is their return. So about 50,000 people, 70 years after the escape, and a whole new generation, 70 years after the fall, a whole new generation gets it in their heart to leave Babylon, and they get given the gift by the emperor that they can do that, and they pack up all their stuff, all their savings, everything, and they leave Babylon, and they walk back to Jerusalem. Now, the thing about this trek is... These people are really heroes of the Old Testament. Even though when you read stories about them and you read about their struggles with with sin and and with following God, you still have to admire the fact that they packed up everything, loaded into some kind of wagon or carried it on their back and walked back to Jerusalem just because they believed that that was where the temple should be, that's where they should worship from, and that was their homeland. There were really a lot of spiritual reasons for the journey. So if you follow that story, and I'm just going to cliff note it right quick, they came back. The first thing they had to do was build the temple. They built the foundation. They came under pressure for 15 years. The foundation just sat there. And then finally, after 15 years, the prophets God sent to get on their case, and they finished building the temple. Then another series of years passed, and they they were basically a, a group of people with no protection surrounded by mortal enemies in Jerusalem, and so Nehemiah comes back, and you can read the story of Nehemiah, and in this miraculous 52-day move, they come and they build walls around the city of Jerusalem and give a bit of protection. Now, I want you to understand, these people, it's, you know, there's about 50,000 of them, plus whatever children they had after they got back to Jerusalem, they were trying to follow God, and it was hard. It was hard to get the temple built. It was hard to survive in Jerusalem without any security, with enemies all around you. It was hard to secure the city when enemies were trying to stop them at every turn. 
But they finally got it done, and it was over a period of decades. This wasn't a a one-year, two-year, ten-year stint. It was over a period of decades. The nation of Israel was trying to once again carve out a national history and a patriotism and a devotion to God in the midst of a hostile land. Okay? So I want to read you a text, and it's a rather long text, and I'm going to ask you to bear with me as I read it, but it's... What Nehemiah did, Nehemiah got the people together once this was done. And I want to read it to you. It's in Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to read verse 6 and verses 8 through 12, and I'll try and read it as interestingly as possible, but try and, try and hear this, okay? Then Ezra, he was the lead scribe who was doing most of the teaching. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen. Let's do that. Amen. Amen. And they lifted their hands. Let's do that too. Just just help us engage in that. Amen. Amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And they read from the book of the law of God. That's the first five books of the Bible, okay? Genesis through Deuteronomy. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. And then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, now I want you to listen to the impact that what's happening has on the people. They're reading the Bible and explaining it. They're reading out of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, which the average Christian today doesn't even read. And they're reading out of those books, and this is the counsel that comes from Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites. Don't mourn or weep. On such a day as this. What does that tell you? That the people were mourning and weeping. As they're reading and explaining the texts of Deuteronomy. The people are in tears and they're mourning what has happened to their nation. What they've done as a nation. How they've offended God through all of this. And how good God has been to them in spite of all of that. They're mourning. So he says don't mourn. Or weep on such a day as this, for, for today is a sacred day before the Lord, your God. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festival meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they had heard God's words and understood them. I I want you to see in this that the word of God brought a, a mourning and a weeping. And although I I think for a lot of people today that's a foreign concept to what worship should be, it's it's not. In the New Testament, we find lots of passages that teach us to to accept, receive, and embrace mourning or grieving. Because what happens when you start to encounter God is you begin to understand how far away from Him you are, how much we've offended Him. 
and how graceful he is to bring us back and to pursue us and love us. And so Nehemiah teaches the people thousands of years ago, he says, this is a time for joy. And I would argue that the only way to get from the sorrow that we constantly live under in our lives today is to go through the grief that ends in joy. And I think we're so afraid of the grief that we never encounter it. And because we never actually feel the grief in our life, we never actually experience the joy that's in the Lord. And so I, I, as, I just, as I read through this passage, and I, our, our subject today is, is obeying the word of God, doing what God says, listening to him. I want you to see that listening to God is a double-edged sword, that it brings sorrow and it gives great joy. And you cannot have one without the other. I know I can't sell books writing that stuff, but I'm not here to sell. There's already the best book available, okay? If people read it more, if we just tried to obey and follow the Bible, things would change in amazing ways for us. The joy of the Lord is your strength is a quote that we've heard often. It came from Nehemiah. And I want to share you a verse out of Romans that Paul gives us. He says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. That's why God's law is given. God's law is not a way to please God. God's law shows us why we could never please God. But he goes on to say, God, Paul says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. The more we understand the truth about our true condition before God, the more joy we have in knowing that God, God is powered through all of that to get to us. And so I think grief and sorrow can be powerful things. So what does this have to do with what Paul says in Ephesians 5.17? Don't act thoughtlessly, but truly understand what the Lord wants you to do. So here's the message. There's the story of what... God's word did to a people that broke their hearts and gave them great joy. A people who'd gone through lots of hardship. So as we come to this one verse, don't act thoughtlessly. Here's my sermon outline. You ready? You'll remember this. Ready, set, go. That's, that's the outline. Don't act thoughtlessly. Every day we need to get up and we need to be ready. We need to not act thoughtlessly. Here, here's what I'm talking about. It's so easy, especially with all the distractions of our day, to wake up, pop the TV on, pull the phone out or the, the tablet, and just slide by inertia into the day, whether it's through social media or through entertainment. It's so easy to live a day and not think about the day. And, and so you're, you're going to live your life either in inertia or you're going to live it by your choices. And, of course, you're choosing inertia. And so I guess we, we do live by our choices regardless. And so I want to encourage you to wake up every day and actually begin to get ready. Rather than slide by inertia into the rat race, I want to encourage you to choose to live God's race. That's what Paul said. He's, he told us to, to live as though we're in a race and to live to win in that race. And so I want to challenge you every day to, to, to not act thoughtlessly, to not let another day go by where you get up and slide into whatever the world wants you to do or whatever the biggest dramatic moment is in the world today. Truth is, the world's kind of mean, right? 
I love what Zig Ziglar used to say. He said, there's really only 10 nasty people in the world, but they get around. Maybe you know them. I don't know. Maybe you're married to them. Anyway, so, uh, no, don't say that out loud. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> My wife's probably married to one. <laughs> anyway. Don't spend a lot of time stressed out by the unkind words, the insulting posts, and the angry, hurting people. Stop looking at the world a mirror and start looking at it through the lens of God's love and his joy. Jude wrote a passage that's really harsh, and I don't want you to get lost in it, but he says in Jude 1.10, he says, these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. Jude isn't being rude, although Jude's pretty frank. What Jude is trying to tell us is, is that man was created to live in the image of God, and when man doesn't live and move in the image of God, when he just operates as man without relationship of God, he acts like an animal. He doesn't act thoughtfully. He doesn't make choices. So I want to challenge all of us to, to move out of a life that acts thought, thoughtlessly and get out of the inertia and intentionally every day run the race. Wake up in the morning and get your running shoes on. For the day. So ready. And then set. If you were a runner, you'd get your shoes, your, uh, your, your tennis shoes on, or your, your, uh, if you're a soldier, you'd get your boots on, and you'd get set for the day. And so I want to encourage you to start each day with God, to actually get up in the morning, have a quiet time, read the Bible, uh, not just read it, but maybe write out a verse, and then write it, paraphrase it in your own words, and then ask yourself what you should do about it for the day. Ask God what He wants you to do about it for the day. What I want you to do is, is tune in. When I was a kid, we had uh, analog radios. My, my grandmother had, maybe some of you guys remember this. Do you remember that, I wish I could say it like the comedian I heard once, but do you remember that stereo that maybe your grandparents had? It was about six feet long. It was made out of plastic and was heavier than concrete. I mean, it was, you remember that thing? And uh, my grandparents had one, and uh, they listened to records, vinyl, man. And uh, anyway, I won't go through some of the record selections they had, but they didn't always have Jesus is all I'm going to say. And, uh, but it had an analog dial, and you had, to, you had to turn it with this big, big knob until the knob broke, and then you had to get a pair of pliers, but that was really the TV that needed that. But anyway... So you had this analog dial, and so if you wanted to listen to a radio station, you know, nowadays it's, it's all digital, so you just hit the button until it's 103.1 and you're there. But back then, you had to turn the dial. And the best stations were always the weakest stations. I mean, they were way out there. And so you had to, you had to dial, and there was always some crappy station right next to it as well, but that's a different story. And so you would work on that dial until you got right in there. When I was a kid, I used to love to listen to the story hours out of Chicago. And so I would, but we barely got it. And so I would turn the dial, and if you turned it a little bit too much this way, it was static. If you turned it this other way, it was the Spanish station, and you didn't understand what they were saying. And you're just like working on getting that right in there, and then you would hit it for a second, and then you would lose it. And then you would grab the antenna and put your arm up, and then you would have it. And it's really uncomfortable to stand that way for an hour radio show, but you would do it because you wanted to hear what the shadow knew and, uh, or whatever it was back then. My favorite was actually Chicken Man out of Springfield, Missouri, but that's uh, exactly who I am. So anyway, one day I'll sing you the, the song. It's exactly, well, that's a lot what it's like 
to tune in with God each day. It's like that analog radio. And don't get me wrong, some people get their, get their radios upgraded, and that can certainly happen. But a lot of times you're just trying to catch, you're tuning in to what's coming out of mission control, out of the throne room of God. So you, you get ready every day. If you don't live by choice, you'll live by inertia. And then who's in charge of your life? Because it's not you and it's not the Holy Spirit. And then you get, you get ready. You get set each day. You tune into what God's doing. You get in tune with a God who is speaking. And let me, uh, let me assure you that if you aren't hearing from God, it's not because he's silent. Okay? That's not meant to be abusive or make you feel guilty. It's just the fact that what's wrong is that your radio isn't dialed in. And you've got to get You've got to get set. So you start your day that way. Then you go. And this is something that we as children of God need to embrace. An active, practical faith. I'm here to tell you that the church of God, that Christians, that God has an enemy. And he misses no opportunities to create pain. He misses no opportunities to steal and destroy. We have within us the seed of hope. And we're missing all kinds of opportunities to birth hope. And so ready, set, go. If you get tuned into the Father, then it's time to start living your life with Him. Man, I'm not... I, when I was a kid, they talked a lot about giving up all and going into the ministry full time. Right now, I'm at a stage in life where I'm like, no, do not leave your secular job. You are in the ministry. Just start seeing it that way. And realize that every day where you work, where you live, the recreational activities that you participate in, camping, the sporting events that you go to, whenever that starts happening again, all of these provide opportunities to birth hope. And that's what Christians do. We birth hope. So you're driving down a Walmart parking lot, and there they are, right there in the gravel with the sign. I don't know where you get those signs. I might need one soon, but (laughs) whatever they say, sometimes they're pretty catchy. And sometimes, not every time, sometimes you're going to be driving out there, and and, and you're you're tuned in, and God's going to say, stop. You don't have, by the way, when God tells you to do something, you don't have to worry about what's coming next. It will be there when you get there. I promise you that, okay? And, and he says, stop. So here's what you do. Ready, set, go. Instead of acting thoughtlessly and carrying on with that race back home to get on to the next trivial thing, just stop. Just stop. And maybe it's five bucks. And maybe it's, can I pray for you? Or maybe it's, can I, can I put you on our church prayer chain and get other people praying for you? Maybe it's a ride somewhere. Who knows what it is? All I know is, is that there's an enemy that's in their head right now telling them how worthless they are, how much a failure they are, or teaching them how to uh, manipulate and use people. There's that destructive spirit that's on them right then. And here you are, child of God, child of hope. And you can stop, and you can shine a different light into that situation. You see what I'm saying? It, it, could be, it could be something that simple. It could be something even in your own home. 
It is so easy to be married to the person that you love from the bottom of your heart and ignore them every single day. Isn't that true? I mean, you, you love this person, anything for them. But then you walk two parallel paths that never seem to meet. And what if you guys, what if, you know, you, you got home from work and you were tired and you took a minute and you took a deep breath and you walked in and say, all right, honey, tell me about your day. And you just stopped and listened to her dump. And you're sitting there going, if I did that, Michael, I'd never leave. It'd never end. Because you don't do it enough. <laughs> you let her make smaller dumps more often, you better go, guys. Anyway. <clears throat> My point is, there's a lot of situations that can birth hope. I look at the community in which I live and the community in which I minister. We have people fighting cancer today. We have people who've lost family members today. Um, we have people who are just very depressed and struggling with the world in which they live and they don't know how to reconcile all these challenges. We have people who are lonely. We have all of these situations going on just in our body, in our town, in our community. And yes, it's some, of the, some of the things people have done are great, but what am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? How can I birth hope? Let me give you a verse in, Ephesians, or in uh, Romans chapter 10 that you know well. I'm going to read a couple of verses, but I want to come back just to verse 13. But in Romans 10, 13, the Bible says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In fact, I'm just going to stop right there. Everyone who calls, say that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pretty easy verse. Verse 14 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You got a neighbor that's having financial problems, and you don't have the finances to help them, but they're having problems. But you know this verse. I want you to say the word saved when I get to that point of the verse, okay? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your neighbor has financial problems. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. you got a friend who's fighting cancer. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Your boss is stressed out and yelling at everybody in the office. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be your kids are struggling because they can't get out in the sporting events. They can't connect with their friends like they used to. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have the answer, man. You have the answer that's better than the cure for cancer. You have a seed of hope within you. Hope. Birth the hope. Everywhere we go, birth the hope. This is what it means to shine light into the world. Everybody can shine, anybody can shine the darkness. I know, I'm pretty pessimistic myself. You talk to me right now, how do you think things are going to turn out, Michael? I say, I think it's going to be pretty bad. <laughs> that doesn't sound very hopeful. I, it is hopeful because I know God's still going to be pretty good. Yeah. Okay? But I, again, I'm not an, I have to work at optimism. It's not a natural thing for me. But every situation we go into, we have the answer. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. No, I don't always know what saved looks like. I don't always know that. Some, some, someone could have cancer and it could take their life. It happens often. God could also grant a miracle. A miracle that we seldom ask for. And so we can 
birth the hope in those situations. And that's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want you to, I want all of us, and this is a sermon to myself more than you, to be honest. But I want to hear what God has to say, and I want to jump into that. Ready? I want to make the choice to engage with God today and not let the enemy run my schedule. Set. I want to dial in to the mission control. I want to hear what God's heart is calling for. And go. I don't want to miss an opportunity to birth hope when my enemy is so desperately taking every chance he gets to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's pray. Worship team. Father, thank you so much for protecting Adley from that snake back there. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word and the hope it gives. Thank you that I stand in front of a group of hope birthers, people who know the answer, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray, Lord, that you would move through us, especially in these times that so many are uncertain and afraid. I pray that you'd move through us to birth light. Thank you. Thanks for all those who are here. Thanks for all those who are going to be baptized today. Thanks for all those who are online with us. I pray, Lord, for the power of God to flow through this body and shine light in our communities. In Jesus' name, amen.